welcome into another episode of Stub Me Down. My name is JW, and as always, I am here with my best friend and co-host Skinny, who hopefully grabbed a nautical dictionary on his way to record today. He might need it as we get into today's conversation. Skinny, say hello to the people, my friend. Hey, what's up, everybody? Actually, I did a lot of visual preparation for today. Uh, watching something, so I'm not going to clue everybody in, but I have a presence uh, in this conversation. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's it's going to happen. Well, I know that I've taken you out on boats before, and we've gone sailing with my dad. We talked about that in the first season of Stub Me Down. Last summer, you, me, Amy, and Megan went out on the boat that I have, and you spilled a tray of drinks. I was not on board. We were at a restaurant. So. <laughs> I mean, really, already? Uh, I'm okay. just saying, you've got, where I'm going with this is that you've got some boating experience. That's all, bro. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks for throwing me a life preserver. I appreciate it. <laughs> nice. Uh, you throw life rings, bro. You're supposed to wear the life preserver. <laughs> give you one of those orange Benny life jackets. <laughs> anyway, I digress. So this is um, a really cool episode for Stummy Down today. We are excited to have this particular guest on. This season has really been about this kind of we are everywhere theme and... Today's guest is no exception to that. So instead of reviewing our previous episodes like we usually do, we're not going to do that because, number one, we haven't recorded our previous episode, and number two, we want to get right to our guest today. If you have ever watched Bravo TV, you might be familiar with this guy. He is on a show called Below Deck, which admittedly I didn't start watching until my wife told me about it. And I'm a big <laughs> boating fan, but not necessarily a reality TV fan. And we saw one episode, a guy wearing a hat that looked familiar. It turns out that one of the guys on Below Deck is a fan with a PH. And so we are very, very lucky to have with us today Ed Lucas from Below Deck seasons one, two, and three, and seasons eight and nine. Ed, welcome to Stub Me Down, man. Thank you so much for being here. We are grateful for your time. Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, man, we're really excited because this continues a conversation that we have already started. But we've started this theme this season of We Are Everywhere. And I feel like the same story that Josh just told, I had that same story with my wife now, which is watching that show. We watch all kinds of, I don't even want to get into what we watch because it's so embarrassing. <laughs> and everybody's going to be like, I'm never going to listen to this podcast again because that guy is feeble. <laughs> but <laughs> I have to do certain things to keep up, you know, the peace in the house. And one of them is watching reality TV. And so I have watched that show. And I did see a signal. It's like semaphore or something. <laughs> and you see that signal and, and it's like a high alert. It's a red alert. So we're really happy to have you on to talk about your experiences, not only on the show Below Deck, but also you, what you like about music, your experiences with music, and obviously the end point, which is really talking about your experience with a show. And in this case, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag. Or what, Should I use the sailing reference there? I'm not really. I don't, I don't know what I should be doing. But thank you for coming in, man. We're, we're really appreciative. You don't want to let the wind spill from the sails quite yet. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, there you Here go. Here we go. 
<laughs> Should I say it now? This is not a sailing show. No, 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 it's not a sailing show. <laughs> you know what? We spent a lot of time talking about sports earlier this season when we had Jake Jolivet on, so we'll just be covering a, a different topic within a topic here. And, you know, while it's cool and everything that you were on Below Deck, you're a music guy, and we're all about the music and specifically what is it about music going to shows that is so engaging for us that it's something we've been doing for a significant portion of our lives and Mm -hmm. we dedicate not only time and treasure but skinny and i've been doing this podcast for a couple years now and we just can't get enough of it and we're analyzing songs that we've heard 30, 40, 50 times live, and yeah. and it never gets old. So that connection and that kind of we are everywhere theme is just something that has been a lot of fun for us to discover and talk about as we've gone through this season. So uh, let's just talk real quick about some of the below deck stuff. So you, you're from Baltimore. How the fuck do you end up on a luxury yacht as a bosun on a TV show? Never happened to me. Like, nobody fucking called me up and was like, hey, dude, we're doing a show about teachers. Or how did you end up getting on the show to begin with? Uh, you know, it was a crazy, that was a crazy experience even just getting invited onto this show. You know, I came into the season one of Below Deck and it was, so I really had no idea what to expect with it. But I also never was expecting to be on a reality television show. That was never my goal. I was never like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to be on a reality television show. This is a, this is a great idea for my future. You know, <laughs> it sounds like a stupid idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's a horrible idea. Uh, you know, the best thing that ever, best thing that ever came from Below Deck was that I can go and see more fish shows. You know, that was pretty much it. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, but uh, you know, I was. Graduated from college. Um, I went to college out in Vermont and majored in adventure education. Uh, and I was kind of like in this like limbo period in my life of, you know, just graduated from college, not really sure what I wanted to do yet or anything like that. And um, I was working at REI. For those who are not familiar with what REI is, it's a Recreation Equipment Incorporated. And I was selling outdoor gear. I was mostly selling hiking boots and, you know, raincoats, things like that. I remember one day, I was, you know, well, I, before that, I was, you know, definitely like, I need to get out of retail. If anybody who's worked retail before, it sucks. Uh, and I was like, I got to wait in tables. Yeah, exactly. yeah, same thing. Yeah, same thing. You know, like, <laughs> That's how skinny and I met was waiting tables <laughs> yeah. in Baltimore's inner harbor. Awesome. <laughs> got to get out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you're like, yeah, I got like anything to get out of this. So I, I put my CV out there to some crew finding agencies because I was like, you know, I, by this point in my life, I had my captain's license. So I've been teaching water skiing and sailing for a long time. And I said, you know, I got to I got to go. So I put my CV out there, some crew finding agencies to hope that, you know, somebody found me and wanted to pick me up as a crew. One day I was at REI uh, selling hiking boots to this extremely rude woman. I mean, it was like perfect timing. She was awful. And uh, <laughs> and, you know, just like really just like not very cooperative about the whole buying shoes you know it, it constantly was just like these are uncomfortable these are uncomfortable like you're not getting me the right boots and uh bless her heart uh she was in a wheelchair also so there was a big part of me that wanted to be like you're never going to use a fucking hiking boot what do you need it to fit like buy some crocs you know uh so 
I was like really at my my patience end. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that she was in a wheelchair, but but I was just like I was really getting fed up. And then all of a sudden, my phone rings, and this guy. I answer it. I'm in the back in the warehouse looking for another pair of like the fifth pair of hiking boots for this woman. And <laughs> I, and this guy's like, "Hey, is this Eddie?" I'm like, "Yeah." And are you still active? I'm looking at your CV here about looking on a crew. Are you still actively looking? I said, "Yeah." I said, "Absolutely." And. Uh, and he said, that's great. You know, we're looking for uh, some crew members for this yacht for a season out in St. Martin. You know, like it's going to be a six week long uh, season doing this and this, doing a charter season. Uh, are you interested? And I was like, absolutely. And he goes, OK, well, this is a little different. And he then went on to explain how he's filming a quote unquote reality documentary, which I don't know how if you'd really define below deck as a reality documentary now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just like baseball yeah. by Ken Burns. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> With all of the footage of pulling up the anchor and provisions on the dock, I mean, you know, you've learned a little bit about yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. You learn a you learn a very small amount of what it actually takes to be on a yacht. Uh, and yeah. you know, but that's how we pitched it. He said he said it's a reality documentary. Uh, we're filmed for six weeks. Uh, you'll be filmed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we'll put together a, a show that will end up on a, they said, he, at the time he said, a major NBC program. And I, I had no idea what that meant. You know, I was like, oh. and he's like, are you still interested? And as I'm like on the phone with him, I heard the woman yelling from the front, like, where are my hiking boots? And like, meanwhile, I've been on the phone for like 10 minutes, so I get it. Like, I was <laughs> probably not the best salesman ever but I, and I was just like yes I was like yes sign me up and he's like great two weeks later I was in front of a camera it was like right off the bat and I came to find out that they had someone already lined up for my position but they had dropped out like last minute and they struggled and I was I was their backup so it worked out and the next thing I know I was filming and took a while for the first season to come out but then there was bang first season Filming second season, third season. Third season was bad on me, and uh, I made some massive mistakes. So I, I took took a little hiatus, as uh, fish fans are aware of. And uh, <laughs> everybody takes a hiatus. Everybody, everybody needs. Sometimes it. you got to take a hiatus. You know, you know, like whatever, whatever for you know. Sometimes you just got to take a step back and just you know reassess things. And so I did that for five years, and then came back for the the season eight and season nine. And now I'm uh, I'm back in the wind again. So that's that's it. That's my below deck experience. I mean, and like it's crazy to think having a fucking camera in your face twenty four seven, and you are not familiar with that as like an experience. I mean, obviously the first couple of days with a camera crew following your every move, like that must have been. A little bit of a transition, especially on a boat. You're either working or you're a passenger, and now you've got a camera crew and I don't know, like a guy with like a boom mic or whatever following you around. Like, how the fuck do they not get in your way as you're doing shit? You know? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, but it's and you know, the getting used to the cameras in your face. 24 hours a day, you know, little camera in your room looking at you while you're sleeping. You could see the little red light. And, uh, you know, it, it definitely takes some time to get used to. And you never really get used to it. It's never like you just like stop seeing the cameras or, you know, you just, you know, just ignore it. You, you can't because 
a big part of being on television is like, wow, I really got to watch myself. I can't be picking my nose or, <laughs> or scratching your ass or like or scratching, <laughs> scratching my ass or something. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I would have failed yeah, I mean, miserably a... at this show. <laughs> oh my God. They would have kicked me off in the first hour. Oh yeah. And, and, and the fans of below deck are, uh, what's the best way to put it? Um, dedicated, very dedicated. Uh, and, and they will rip apart every single little thing you do down to the, the smallest knot you can tie. And so, like, you really got to kind of watch it. And so, you know, you kind of are always on guard in a way, but it gets easier. It gets much, much easier. And the first season was a little hard. You know, you probably like halfway, maybe a little earlier, I kind of got into a groove. And then all the seasons I've done since then, you know, you just kind of fall right back into it. But then... You know, you're working on this massive yacht. You're working with massive lines uh, under a lot of pressure at times. You're working with anchor chain that's huge, very dangerous. You know, thousands and, of pounds, and yeah. and a lot of times things go wrong, and you've got to move really, really quickly. And like you said before, you know, you either have crew or passengers, and crew don't get in your way because hopefully, I mean, a lot of times on below deck, crew are getting your way because they are hired to get in your way. Um, right. But you know, but it's. <laughs> It's like, you know, then you also have this other aspect of Below Deck where you have these camera operators, audio techs, executive producers, PAs that are in your way, but they're out there trying to do a job too. And for the camera operators and audio techs, they're the people who are going to be in your way the most. EPs, PAs, they're up in the control room kind of watching everything. But the audio techs, camera operators, I have the utmost respect for those guys. They work harder than anybody else on those yachts. And, you know, a lot of the camera operators and audio techs, they do season after season after season of Below Deck also. And they get it. They they learn very quickly, faster than a lot of the crew that I have under my, my uh, supervision uh, understand of like what it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to be on the boat, where you should be, where you shouldn't be. Uh, snapback zones. I'm sure some, you, know, you might be familiar with snapback zones. Uh, yeah. You know, and just like, just like... Skinny, look that up in your nautical dictionary. <laughs> I was watching this race today. It was like the GP5 or whatever in the San Francisco Bay. It was actually on the TV. Grand Prix, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah Great. It's kind of so cool. cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah. it looks like that thing is floating on air or whatever. It is. Going, it is. They're yeah, going they're like going Mach yeah. 2. Those boats yeah, go so yeah, fucking fast. Like 69. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. And, uh, or, no, 60 kilometers per hour. No, Wait a 60 minute. 60 knots. <laughs> no, no, you're right. 60 knots is a little bit fast for a sailboat, I think. 60 knots? No, they actually do... Those boats can do up to fifty-three miles per hour, so sixty knots is about is about right. That's yeah, about yeah. right. Okay. Oh, okay. The, the, right. Those boats are insane. I mean, they're amazing. I would I would love to do something like that. Love that. All right, I learned something, <laughs> and that's what I think about that whole show. Is like, I mean, first of all. Do they ever let you stop polishing? Like, if I was a guest on that boat, I'd be like, yo, I mean, can they, like, the <laughs> brass looks pretty good today. You know what I mean? And this would be at breakfast. So that's my question to you is, like, how do you deal with these pain-in-the-ass customers that come on, these these clients? I guess that's, like, a more Gigi word than customer. I'm a customer. I was at Walmart this morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're, they're clients. <laughs> like how, how is that? Cause then, you know, you got to line up with the whites, you know, when you, when they come in, I couldn't imagine what that would be like. 
I mean, as a waiter, I know what that's like, but it's, no, you're taking care of the boat, but they walk on the boat like, uh, thank you, waiter. Thank you for the champagne. I'll have strawberries with my steak or whatever they're saying. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. I can't, that I cannot fathom. So kudos to you. I mean, what does that look like? When we have clients or guests on board, you know, it, it, you got to be balls to the wall 24 hours a day. You know, you got to be ready to go. And there's no request that's too big. Uh, you know, as they say in the industry, you know, no is not in our vocabulary. Uh, and so, you know, like it, that's bullshit, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's bullshit. I got to the point, I got to put my yacht in career where I tried to say no to guests as much as I possibly could. It was like, kind of like a little game for me, you know, but you had to do it in the right way. You had to manipulate them into saying, yeah, you know what? I don't want that. Right. You know, you can't just be like, no, I'm not going to do that for you. You got to be like. Are you sure that's what you want to do? You know, right, maybe we right. should think about that. And you don't want to go down the slide. You know, you don't <laughs> want to go down the slide. <laughs> Lay on the beach for four yeah, hours. Yeah, uh, seriously. <laughs> like, let's go for a boat ride, man. Like, that's excitement. Like, yeah, listen, yeah. really? I, Tour I'll, me around get, on the tender. That's right. what I'll I get. Would the, do. I'll, get right. I'll get a tender going at forty miles per hour, and you can jump off the side. That's excitement. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> my request would be like, I want a hundred beers. <laughs> <laughs> And somebody to drive me to different lagoons all day. But I guess that's not what you get. You know, it's just, it's funny. My, yeah, my requests would be like, why don't you guys come and hang out yeah, with yeah. us? You know, and I know that that's like not allowed, but like, yeah. you know, we would be in it for the party and, you know, we probably have some sort of. Well, a lot of yachts, that does happen. That does happen where guests are like, hey, we want the crew to come party with us. And that's a, that's a pretty, you know, common thing that happens. You know, like we want to party with the crew or we want to party with this crew member or something like that. And, and so that's, that's pretty normal. But the worst thing about being on below deck, I mean, like, let me ask you guys a question. When you're at home and you're cooking dinner or you're like outside doing yard work or you're doing some paperwork, something like that, like what's something you, you got to have going on all the time when you're doing like work? Music. Music. Yeah. Like I would. Music. Music. I would blare music. Exactly. I mean, I do, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. Not allowed to play music. Not, Not allowed, allowed to play music. Not allowed to listen to music. No headphones. Nothing. No listening to music. Nothing of that. And so you're out there polishing stainless steel for 25 hours a day, <laughs> and you can't listen to music. Like it, 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 that for somebody like us, that weighs on you. That weighs on you. That definitely does. Because you know? I'd be like. Pebbles and marbles, like this. I'm not even, I'd be like trying to like make up songs. Do, do you guys sing to each other? You can't. You can't. You can if you make up your own song. You can't. But you can't sing someone else's song. Oh right, because you know? you're, oh, oh shit, because it's copyright. It's copyrighted. Oh, ASCAP. Yeah, ASCAP wins again. ASCAP wins again. And so you like they're gonna come to get us. And that's the, <laughs> that's the crazy thing. Like uh, trying to navigate all of those types of. Rules like I got to imagine like the paperwork that you had to sign off on before you did this was like it was like a fucking stacks, Bible man stacks That's crazy oh yeah don't listen oh, yeah. to music don't yeah. pick I mean, your it, nose don't scratch your like I just oh, you're man. out there kind of like you know scrubbing the deck and you're like A C D C bag and then all of a sudden like you know a producer come out and be like Eddie stop it <laughs> and you know and I'm like how do you know and like unfortunately the past like couple seasons one of the EPs was a, a fan also. And so she knew, like, when I was singing fish songs, and she'd be like, Eddie, like, what are you doing? Like, stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we can't do that. Well, you know what's funny, Ed, is, like, you're on the boat for 
six weeks. Do they film? They film the entire six weeks. They whittle that shit down to 12 hours, but less because of, you know, commercials and stuff like that. So it's, you know. About 45 minutes an episode of airtime. 12 episodes, however many episodes a season is. Like 12 to 14. Right. And and five minutes of that is you guys fucking loading provisions or dropping the anchor or like doing like mundane stuff that is part of every episode. So they really edit down an incredible amount of, and I'm sure some of it's just like boring shit. You know, you're polishing a railing or the chef is cooking in the galley or whatever. But with all of that editing, how true to, I guess, the experience or the trip or that particular charter is each episode. I mean, is there, I know, I know they're going to like play up the drama and shit because it's a fucking TV show and reality show and that's yeah. what they're trying to do. But like overall, would you say it's true to form or sometimes and then, you know, maybe other times like, you know, they really kind of direct it with the way they edit all of that content. Because I mean, you're talking about probably thousands of hours of content that they whittle down to, you know, less yeah. than 10. No, I mean, I I think you're, you're, you're spot on pretty much with what you just said with being like, they're going to edit things that align with the story. And the story is what they want, pretty much. I mean, like, obviously, they can't make a story out of nothing. But they can take the smallest little event and then turn it into an hour long episode or a season long episode. You know, I mean, there's been, there's been episodes where I watch it and I'm like, I don't even remember that event taking place that they dedicated half an hour of the episode to, you know, and that, that's, that can be frustrating to me because they edit out so much of the fun of like the laughs and the comedy and just like the adventure that also goes along with being in this industry and like dealing with these guests, you know, it's, they they focus so much on this sad drama or angry drama uh, rather than the comedic side. I, I I guess that people yeah like the hookups and like all that the, shit. Right? Oh, oh they, they they love the yeah they love the hookups. Or who didn't do the laundry uh, last right, night? Exactly. That's a thirty exactly. minute episode. We're really in the grand <laughs> scheme of it, like nobody fucking cares. Like. Yeah. Nobody cares. Like, it's like, no, no. Oh, like, oh, someone forgot to switch over the laundry. Like, nobody cares. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's an issue for those 30 seconds where you're like, hey, why didn't you switch the laundry over? Like, what the hell? And like, to me, like, that that conversation is like done in 30 seconds and it's over. But then we have, you know, people in our ear being like, hey, you need to go talk to, like, hey, skinny, go talk to JW and be like, hey, why didn't you put the laundry over? And like, is there something wrong? Are you distracted? <laughs> you want me to tell you what I would say to him? Here's what I'd say to him, Maddie. Dude, why don't you take it easy? I got a fucking drink in my hand. That's why yeah. I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll create all Oh yeah, you'd drama. be great on it. You'd be great on the show. <laughs> he does. Dude, if you had been the, a fly on the window of any car ride that this guy and I have taken in the last 25 years... <laughs> You'd get a good slice of that take-it-easy reality. But, you know, it's interesting because – so they do kind of, like, encourage certain storylines. Like, they're telling you, hey, there was this. You – the producers are saying, you go talk to this person about this to kind of play up an angle. So it's a little kind of scripted based on – there might be an initial event and then they kind of script some drama into that. Right. Well, that's a a great great question because a question I get all the time is, is your show scripted? 
my answer always is it's not scripted it's facilitated right so the the drama is facilitated the pushing us you know like not getting us enough sleep and you know giving us crew members that are not up to par like have no business being on a yacht of this size you know like right, last right. boat they worked on was a 16 foot you know sun chaser <laughs> or something and you're like what the hell are you doing here man like right and and uh you know and so like in, in that regard where it, the drama is facilitated but they we, they don't say like oh go say this but they'll be like right go talk about what happened go talk about this go ask go ask about this past experience okay. you know things like that Gotcha. Gotcha. That's interesting yeah. to know. That's interesting to know. So, and one of the- Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it is for me. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I thought- uh, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm Look, like- and here's the thing. All so, right, dude. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you watch like all of the other shows, but I was watching Below Deck Sailing Yacht the other day and- the young kid was on anchor watch. The wind kicked up to from 10 knots to 30 knots in like 10 minutes, and he wasn't paying attention because he was making out with some broad, and the boat dragged, you know, and it was a very serious situation. And, like, either that kid was a fucking idiot or somebody was like, you know, we're going to kind of play up this as a, a dramatic piece of the storyline because – Anybody that is on any boat that knows anything about being on a boat, if you notice the wind kick up like that, you can feel an anchor drag. I'm sure on a boat that size, you know if the boat is moving, right? I, I don't know. That just felt a little like they kind of played up it, that it's, whole... It's tougher to tell on a yacht of that size. It is definitely to tell. But we have the instrumentation right. and everything like that that is going to be that makes it very very easy to tell and also you can always walk up to the anchor and just see if the chain is popping you know if the chain is bouncing you know that means it's not right. set and so it's like and you know i i don't watch reality television uh i really don't i have dabbled in like a little bit of the other episodes uh other other sides of below deck you know sailing and mediterranean and everything like that um and I would love to work with Captain Glenn. I just got to say that much. Captain Glenn is... <laughs> he seems pretty chill. I feel like he would be into fish. I, I definitely think he listens to the dead, but I think he listens to fish too. I don't know. He just seems... Well, he's a sailor, dude. Yeah, know? exactly. Captain I mean, Lee's a power boater. Exactly. Glenn is a sailor. There's a, big, there's, there's a there's much a big difference. Yeah, yeah, there's a big difference. Yeah. Can I tell you guys something right now? Yeah. This is not a sailing show. <laughs> Well, maybe today it is, Skinny. Not for Skinny me. Skinny wants to go listen to some cheeseburgers in paradise, okay? Yeah. No, no, no. no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's a Buffett fan. Uh, no, I am not. I am not a well, Buffett the, fan. Captain Lee's a Buffett fan. Captain Lee's like a Buffett fan kind of guy. Where where Glenn is a more deadhead. I, that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I like Glenn, whoever he is. Uh, Captain Lee, yeah, uh, Jimmy Buffett. I have been to that island, I think, and uh, it's near uh, Captiva and um, Sanibel. It's, if you go up into the inlet there, where they say that he wrote that song, or it, you know what came to that, the cheeseburger in paradise. There's dollar bills all inside of it. I can't remember the name of it. I saw a big tortoise there. I was like, whoa, okay, in the wild. <laughs> all right, what do you have something to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, my last question, since you're, you're talking about paradise, is, yes, yes. you know, one of the things that I feel like 
they could do a better job of on the show was play up some of the locations, right? You you did a bunch of seasons. You visited some pretty spectacular locations. We're not in the rankings here on Stummy Down, but if there was one you could go back to tomorrow, where, where are you headed? Uh, I'd probably go back to St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, where this past season I filmed was. It was it was really just a beautiful island, very undeveloped in relation to a lot of the other Caribbean islands, which I really enjoyed. You can kind of find a lot more of that Caribbean culture, I feel like, there. Where in a place like uh, you know English Harbor in Abaco, uh, it, you know, it was like you try to go out and get some like Caribbean foods, you know, some jerk chicken, some goat, things like that. And they're like, well, we got an Italian. Uh, we, got, we got some Mexican food over here. Uh, you know, and you're like probably some 19 year old kid that's taking a gap year. That's exactly, waiting exactly. You. And, and you're just like, like uh, yeah, gap year, fucking gap year. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's just like it's just you know it's a little frustrating because you know like when I travel I want to be part of the culture and Saint Kitts Nevis was was that I I loved it out there. That's cool. That's cool. Moving on from that. So you're a Baltimore guy. That That is one of the things that got us connected with you. And I am a transplant. I grew up in New Jersey on the, on the coast there on the shore. But Skinny is born and bred. And he is Baltimore through and through. And so I know that you guys have that connection. Can you talk or I'm going to just kick it to skinny and go Baltimore shit. <laughs> oh, shit. So we're not talking about sailing anymore. <laughs> we're going to break. I've got some more questions, but we'll circle back around. <laughs> we're, we're good. Skinny Baltimore <laughs> is sailing. You know that, right? Yeah, we got to. <laughs> yes. I, well, it's funny because I. Uh, I grew up in the city after, you know, by the time I was 16, we had finally transplanted down into this area called Sterling Street. It's right across the street from uh, Dunbar, down the street from Hopkins on Monument. And then it's like an old area that was recovered and they sold the houses for a dollar. And my mom always wanted to live there. But, you know, so I was in the city on the east side. And, of course, on the east side, it's really close to Fells Point, like Broadway area going down there. So... I can't imagine what it would be like to live somewhere without water. So like when I think of like Indiana or whatever, it's like landlocked. It, it frightens me. It's really like I, I could never do it. Ocean City. It's claustrophobic. Yeah, definitely. And I've always said like even though Maryland has like, you know, shit high taxes and, and just crazy. But still, west of the, is the mountains. You have pretty good cities. Baltimore has its issues. But when I was growing up still, like when I was in my twenties, like Camden Yard started, you know, the city had another revitalization after Harbor Place, Fells Point area, all that block um, is totally built up now. So, and I lived in Fells Point and grew up in Fells Point and went to those bars. So I know now you're, you're working for tugboats and like you go down to that area all the time. Like, what does that area mean to you? Because it, for me, that's where I grew up. And, and when I say grew up, like it used to, <laughs> it used to be like a red light district like, <laughs> years ago. You, you used to get shanghaied. I believe not like maybe 15 years ago, they found somebody with like a, a knot in their skull. Like it was a skeleton under one of those bars down there because they got shanghaied and they had to bury him, which like... Rough crowds. <laughs> but like, what, is, what does that area mean to you, Ed? Because it means a lot to me, and it means a lot historically. I mean, we could talk about Frederick Douglass, caulking ships, whatever. But um, now you're down there. Like, what, what's that mean to you? Well, you know, historically, it, it means a lot to me historically. You know, being part of the industry down here now, 
and the continued industry of powerhouse that Baltimore is with the uh, maritime industry. It's really cool to kind of be a part of that now. But like growing up, you know, I didn't have that much of a connection to the Baltimore waterfront. Um, I had more of a connection with the Eastern Shore, and that's where I really right. got my kind of feet wet. Got my got anchors. Your feet wet. <laughs> got my feet wet. Got my anchors, and uh, you know, started started my professional career on the water, uh, teaching water skiing and sailing. I was a camp counselor for ten years and uh, taught people how to sail and taught people how to water ski, and and I love that. Um, but now to like, where on the Eastern Shore, Ed? Where are you? Right outside Chestertown. If you know where Wharton is, if you know Wharton, Maryland. Yeah. So Wharton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Echo Hill Camp, if you're familiar with it. I don't know that camp, but I'm familiar with Wharton, yeah. Right near the YMCA camp, Camp Taqua, uh, and there are our tribals. We raced them, we raced them uh, sailing races, big, big, massive sailing races against them. It was epic. But, you know, it was, it was like that was really, really important to me, being on the eastern shore there and, like, being on the water. And so yeah. being in Baltimore, I've always had a, a connection with the water. But now to be on the uh, the blue collar side, the working in the industrial areas and driving tugboats is is really cool. You know, thinking back to like how this used to be one of the largest pirate missions in the country, uh, it's just it's so cool. And and that you know that skeleton they found uh, underneath the, that dock, you know, was an ancient skeleton, and it came back from the times when people were Shanghai. And and uh, you know it's really cool going down to Fells now and kind of understanding the you know, the history of it, you know, going to like places like the Wharf Rat, which unfortunately just closed. Oh, man, that's right. I, I did hear about that. Like the Red Star. Damn, it did? Yeah. The old Red yeah, Star did. was like another joint, you know, Red Star. Red Star. You know, if you don't know the Red yep. Star, when sailors come to port, if there's a Red Star, you know, things are going to happen. <laughs> things are going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, we also got the Cat's Eye. Yeah, you know, the Cat's and, Eye, and- sure. The cat's eye is still popping. It's still going really well. Great place to go see live music. And But like back in the day before I was tugboating, the tugboaters, when you're allowed to drink, uh, when you're on, they would go to the cat's eye. And then before cell phones, when it was time to go and there was a time for a job, they would shine a spotlight in through the bar windows of the cat's eye. And uh, and that would be a, the sign for the, the crew to head out to the boats and head out. So it's, you know, it's kind of cool things like that. But uh, I, did buy, I did buy a piece from the wharf rat auction that just went up kind of when it was going out. So I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to hold on to the history down there as much as I can. That's awesome, dude. Cause I, I love that history down there and that's, I love it. You know, I tell my kids like Edgar Allan Poe, you know, they eat. Yeah. He went to these political parties and they had like food and drink and he was a pauper. He had nothing. Yeah. So he went to three different ones cause he, he voted three different times and nobody knows what happened, but he passed out and hit his head. And then literally right up the street at North Broadway, he was at Church Home Hospital and he died up there. It's like yep. the relation to history and, and the port and what's happened down there. Frederick Douglass was also something I just mentioned because right on Dallas Street is where he lived mm-hmm. for a long time. So it's just crazy. I, I love that area. I, I'll never let go of it. It's, it's definitely got a, a piece of my heart. My wife is going to laugh her ass off because we watch reality sh- TV and everybody always says, my heart, my heart. <laughs> so, Ed, you have my heart. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's cool because like what you just brought up, like, you know, the history of it, like a lot of the port obviously has changed so, so much of what you can see above water. But now working on the tugs and really understanding what's going on below the water because my tugboat drafts almost 
Like, I think my tugboat drafts 13 feet. So we've got quite a bit of boat underneath us. And, you know, we always are paying attention to those old docks that go way back. And the pylons are all still there, kind of under the water, kind of waiting to... foul the prop, yeah. Waiting to take another soul. (laughs) And it's just really cool. It's really cool, you know. It's like, you know, just like having that kind of history of it. It's it's such such an old port, but it's still, it's booming. It's booming bigger than ever right now. That's awesome. I'll have to think about that the next time I take a water taxi <laughs> from Fells Point to the harbor or something. Yeah. <laughs> like Ed was talking about those old <laughs> They're there, man. As somebody who's a transplant and I was also a US history teacher for a long time, the history of Baltimore is has always been intriguing to me. And you've got Fort McHenry that's right out there beyond the entrance to the harbor. And um, my dad actually wrote a couple of books or three books about the War of eighteen twelve and it is a very historic place, which is one of the things I love about Baltimore. Ed, can you just talk real quick a little bit about what you do now? You, you know, you mentioned tugs, but what exactly are you doing on tugs? You know, if you could give us a, just a little bit of a rundown on, on your current position down there. Yeah. So I, I'm a tugboat operator. I'm a first mate on a, on a Lynn Moran and we're a ship assist tug, also known as a tractor tug. So all the large ships that come into port can't navigate the channels on their own. The channels, the angles are just too much. They're too small, no room for error. And so uh, my job is just pretty much being a maneuverable thruster for them, a, a bow and stern thruster. So a ship will come in and we'll tie up to them on the, the, the shoulder or the quarter. And then the pilot on board the ship will tell us to push and pull so we can navigate the ship to the dock get it to the dock, hold against the dock, ship will tie up, offload or onload cargo, and then we'll come back out once they're finished and take it back out and send it on its way back down the bay. I mean, that's pretty crazy work. I mean, especially now with the backlog of ships from the pandemic. I know that all of the photos and stuff were from California and all of the ships waiting uh, off the West Coast. Were you dealing with kind of some of that same backlog of ships coming up the Chesapeake Bay and into Baltimore? I know Baltimore is one of the bigger shipping ports on the East Coast. If not, I think Norfolk probably is maybe the only one that's bigger. Norfolk and New York are bigger, but we, we're number one on the East Coast for row-row ships, roll-on, roll-off. So cars, farm equipment, machine, like uh, construction equipment, things like that, anything that rolls. You know, we're number one in the port for that. Uh, we're also, I think, number one for like bulk cargo, coal, oil, things like that. We do a lot of uh, Norfolk and New York have us beat out on like container ships, the big container ships. But the backlog that has recently occurred out on the West Coast in places like Cal- in California, that is now starting to affect us because a lot of those ships are now starting to reroute and come to us because they're tired of waiting for who knows how long, could be months to be able to get into port to offload cargo. So we're definitely seeing an uptick of some ships, container ships coming in. We're getting those, those large Panamax ships because we are, we are the furthest west east coast port. And, uh, and, so, and we are a deep water port. So those Panamax ships can come in here. And by Panamax, I mean there's, a, there's the Panama Canal and then you have the Panamax Canal, uh, which is a wider and deeper canal than the Panama Canal. Right. And uh, and so now we can take those massive ships in Baltimore and we're bringing them in, man. I'll tell you what, we're bringing them in. 
There's one actually sitting. I, I was just going to say. <laughs> I was waiting for you to lead him into that. I, yeah, I, did. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even need to. So as I mentioned, when we talked offline, Ed, I live right near Annapolis. And that motherfucker is visible from pretty much everywhere. And uh, I was down at Sandy Point the other day and saw it out there. So for those that might not be aware, there is a, what, a, probably a 1,200-foot ship that got stuck in the Chesapeake Bay north of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge and has been stuck there now for, I guess, probably two, three weeks. Yeah, I'd say about three weeks now. And it's yeah. a it's a ship that draws over 40 feet and it's in 20 feet of water. So it's re- what we skinny in the nautical world would call on the hard. All right. Well, I just know that there was another one of these ships, and it's Evergreen, too. Yeah, same company. That was stuck in the Suez. Am I correct? Yes. That is the same company, yeah. So in the Suez Canal, it was the Ever Given. And right now, off Gibson Island here in Chesapeake Bay, it's the Ever Forward. Uh, they ain't going. They ain't giving shit, and they ain't going forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Eddie, yeah, talk. can you talk a little bit? I know um, when we talked offline, you said you had been out there once or twice. Can you talk a little bit about just, like, the situation and maybe what they're trying to do to get the ship unstuck and some of that stuff? Yeah, well, unfortunately, the ship is hard, hard aground, as they say. But it's unlike the Suez Canal, it's not blocking traffic. Uh, still, they're supposedly, and this is, a, this is all kind of hearsay of what I've heard a lot through it, but supposedly the same salvage director that was on the Suez Canal job is on this job also. And he said that this grounding is 10 times worse than the one in the Suez Canal. And that's because the whole ship is out of the channel and aground. Uh, it went it went aground doing a good amount of speed and is all the way in there. We're not exactly sure what happened yet. Pilot on board is a really, really talented guy. And I can't imagine... I mean, he had sailed maybe an hour prior. And if I had to guess, I would say they had some mechanical difficulties uh, that just prevented the ship from being able to turn and uh, just completely went straight when they were supposed to make a 45 degree port turn. So it's it's a real shame. And, and uh, you know, everyone is, is really sending our best out to that pilot. He really is a great guy, but it's, it's, it's a shame. And it just doesn't it, it's not a good look for any of the port or anything like that. But, you know, these things happen. Yeah, that's crazy. For those of our listeners who aren't familiar, there's a, for lack of a better description, there's a system of pilots that handle these ships as they come in and out of ports. And so for the Chesapeake Bay, because it's such a long trip, there's a pilot that gets on at the mouth of the Chesapeake and takes it up to basically the Patapsco, right? And then he or she gets off and then a pilot gets on to navigate in the uh, up the Patapsco River and into Baltimore where you guys are there to help out. So I can't imagine what that guy is going through. And pilots, uh, my dad always told me being a pilot in New York Harbor was one of like the most respected positions that somebody in a boating industry could get because you have to know everything. You have to know every navigational situation coming in and out of those spots. You have to know weather and tides and um, how to move around those large ships and stuff like that. And and the amount of education that pilots deal with um, as well. So I, I'm sure that that's just yeah. a tough situation all around. 
just to give you an understanding of what these pilots have to go through in order to be, get this position is that they actually have to draw the entire Chesapeake Bay by hand and by memory within a tenth of degree of accuracy. Jesus. And that's the entire bay. I mean, we're not just talking about a section. We're talking about the entire bay. All buoys, landmarkers, channels, everything has to be drawn by hand, blank sheet of paper by hand within a tenth of a degree of accuracy. That's that's just absolutely incredible feat yeah. to be able to do that. And so yeah. these guys are so talented. I didn't even get my orienteering merit badge in Boy Scouts. <laughs> like, there is no absolute way in God's green earth that I could <laughs> I'd be like, uh, is that a red buoy? I don't know. Uh, red right return right red right return right that's it that's right you know and it's funny too i have the chesapeake bay tattooed on my arm and you know i look at it all the time that is cool but i could never fucking draw it no (laughs) nope i'll take the picture into someone yes that's a really cool tattoo man i might have to i might have to you know steal a little bit of that from you that's a really good idea what you know what when we hang out i'll i'll show it to you i got thomas point light on there and a bunch of other cool shit but uh that's awesome man Guys are walking at your sketch. I got like five tattoos. Yeah, I <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Come on, take it easy. No, I, we don't have to criticize my ink. I don't have a single. I don't have a single one. Okay, but I tried to get one once. Like I have a long line of, of maritime in my in my family, and so I had all these ideas. I wanted to get like a three quarter sleeve done, and uh, and and like I brought all these ideas in, also including the tugboat Baltimore, which is the longest surviving and operable. I think last time I checked, it was still operable. Uh, tugboat in the country, and it's really, it's really cool. It's really cool. That would be for a cool tattoo. And I yeah. wanted to get it, you know, like part of this thing. And I, you know, after like a month of this tattoo artist kind of going over my ideas, I go in and she goes, she goes, yeah, I want to put the tugboat Baltimore on your ribs. And I was like, that's nothing what I asked for. I was like, what? and I just, I walked out. I walked out. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll see you. <laughs> Well, I know a couple people if you want to uh, chat offline about that. The the other thing I want to ask you about, there's two more things I want to talk about real quick with your current gig. One of them is the difference between driving a 5,000 horsepower tugboat and driving – how big is I, – I, what was my Sienna was the boat you were just on in this last season? How big yeah. is that? I know you guys always say I meters, think, but I don't I, – I'm, I'm don't, not good with I, the conversion. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't go by meters either, man. I, yeah. No. Yeah. America. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> What's a liter? A liter? <laughs> what a liter of cola. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 so the Bicena was like 186 feet long, I believe. Okay. Uh, my tugboat is 86 feet long. Right. So the length is a big difference in it, but the weight of the two is about the same because, you know, the tugboat is meant for. It's a it's a contact sport. It's a contact sure. sport. Sure, and uh, you know, so it's got a lot of pads on it. Let's say, and also the tugboat is extremely maneuverable. Um, you know, we have I think like eight foot propeller or something like that compared to this my Sienna, which was maybe two and a half feet. Right, and also, but the biggest difference is the way the drives work. And I'm gonna, I'm going to get into some crazy crazy shit right now, and I'll kind of try to dumb it down. But on the my Sienna, you have a traditional drive system where you have a fixed propeller with a rudder behind right. it. And thrusters, right? And you have thrusters? And, and thrusters. Thrusters. Yep. Bows and stern thrusters that go first side to side. We don't have thrusters on the tugboat, but our drives are what are called asthmapods or Z drives. And what that means is that the drives actually are closer to midship 
and they come directly straight down and they don't have a rudder. They are actually able to turn 360 degrees. So each nine foot propeller is able to rotate 360 degrees. Wow. So rather than having a steering wheel and a throttle, I have two small throttles that I'm able to rotate the entire throttle 360 degrees in order to direct my thrust and propulsion strength. Wow. And so it makes it very, very maneuverable where I can kind of, as fast as my drive can turn, I can spin that tugboat. And then I can spin it, you know, and then I, I power down, I can, I can spin that boat underwater. She'll, she'll go down. And it's, it's really, really cool. And it's 5,000 horsepower, 2,500 horsepower each engine. You know, it, it's... I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it's a lot, Skinny. My Sienna, my Sienna was like, Maybe eight hundred. The boat that we have, yeah, the boat that we have has twin nineties on it, skinny. So, and it's only a twenty-two foot Mako, but Mako's a great boat, man. I grew up on a, a Mako, great boat. Yeah. great boat. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a very 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 different. The tugboat's much more maneuverable and much more powerful, just in general. But the weight, the momentum, is is where it can get you. It really can get a hold of you quickly. And so when you're trying to... Well, you get a lot of freeboard, too, on a luxury yacht, so the yeah. wind really can play a big, probably a bigger factor than on a tug. Absolutely. But when I'm strapped up to a ship that has a 150-foot freeboard, you're going for a ride, uh, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. And uh, it can be pretty It can be pretty It's wild. been windy as fuck around oh, man. Too, oh, like. man. It's been brutal. You know, I, I, like, I don't care about rain, snow, any of that, like whatever. But wind and fog... That'll pucker me right up. Fog's the worst on the yeah. water. As, as Captain Lee would say. Do you two guys hear yourselves right now? <laughs> I mean, I'm just asking. Yeah. I know, man. We got to talk about some music here. We got to talk about some music here. Oh, boy. Yeah, seriously. Hey, All right. This well, is also not a tugboat show, a propeller okay, show, okay. or... Look. You told me last episode or one of the episodes we just Skinny, did this season. I told you that I was going to fucking nerd out oh, with the boat boy. stuff today, man. <laughs> I, I, I am not apologetic for that at all. Eddie, fuck this guy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> hey, I, I, I got I to say, I, I, listen, I listen to a lot of fish while I'm working on the tugs. I, I've always got some fish playing and, you know, my deckhand... Is uh, he's been a deckhand for forty three years now. He's born and raised in uh, Fells Point, also good old Polish guy, Butch. And uh, Butch, you know, he he was a big Motley Crew guy. You know, he always listened like Motley Crew and you know Sabbath. You know Sabbath. You know you know, you yeah. know those, those classic heavy metal. It's metal. And uh, and then I came on and I was like, Hey man, you want to listen to a little bit of Trey? <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> And he's like, you know, he's like. Eddie, Eddie, man, what, 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 you know, like, I, you know, I don't know about this. I don't know about this, but like, but he respects music. And, you know, after, and like, you know, we were actually talking about fish this past hitch I just came off of. And he's like, you know, I got to admit, you know, I was, I was pretty hesitant on fish to begin with, you know, like I, I wasn't really sure what you're doing. Uh, but after listening to it, man, then those are musicians. And I was like, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Butch. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. I appreciate that. And so now he he'll he'll put up with me listening to fish and uh, you know and everything like that. But then I'll, I'll still play some Sabbath for him. You know, I mean, you're on a five thousand horsepower tugboat. Yeah, you got to play a little bit of Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, you know, a little bit of fucking yeah. some hardcore rock and roll. Well, 
Oh, well, yeah. Then yeah. let's go ahead and uh, let's get into the music portion of Stummy Down, which is finally. finally. <laughs> if you are new to Stummy Down, the premise of the show is that Skinny and I have been friends for a long time and we've seen a lot of shows together separately. And what we have done is we have decided to pull a ticket stub at random from some of the shows that we've seen together separately. And we use that show as a jumping off point to talk about our friendship, talk about about music and talk about what it is about the live concert experience that keeps us coming back year after year, band after band. So Ed is going to be pulling the stub for us today and driving the conversation based on a show that he has been to. So we're really excited about that. Skinny, you got anything else before we get into the show? Listen, man, I have nothing else. I'm totally ready to talk about music as long as you two don't talk about several things that have anything to do with a boat, sailing, power driving, whatever it is on the water. All right, yeah, I'm ready. All right. All right, Ed Lucas, are you ready to stub me and skinny down today, man? Let's stub you all down. All right, cool. What show do you have for us? So we're going to take it way back here to my first show I ever went to. I was 11 and a half years old, and the date is December 30th, 1996, at the Fleet Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Wow. Wow, dude. I mean, come on. 11 years old, you're at a fish yeah. show. Give me I know. Break, it was dude. pretty wild. Who took you Who took you to that? Who so took you to that? So my mom and her boyfriend, Scott, he took us to this show. They gave us the tickets as a Christmas present. And it was, we, you know, my brother and I were so stoked to go to the show. It was, it was just like, this was our first live show ever. I mean, this is our first live music that we've ever been to. I think, you know, my mom took a lot of direction from a boyfriend at the time who was a big music guy. And, you know, he's like, I'm not going to go take Eddie to see Offspring. <laughs> <laughs> I've or seen Prodigy. Uh, you know, Prodigy. you know, like. This this is this is something that's good for him, uh, and so you know I so they they uh, they gave us a great Christmas present and gave my brother and I tickets to this show. Did you know any fish going in, or was it just a you were just excited because you were going to a concert? Yeah, you know, like um, my my brother definitely kind of helped me get into it. You know, he was my older brother, and so I looked up to him immensely. But um, the biggest part of this, of, of my love for fish coming into this, in, in coming into this first show, was my cousin Richard. You know, he toured with the Grateful Dead and was really into the whole jam band scene. And he's the one who gave my brother uh, his first bootleg uh, tapes. And so... My brother and I burned those bootleg tapes to the ground, man. And I wish I could remember what That's awesome. what shows they were, but I, they've got to be early '90s, maybe late '80s. I also got you know Punta and I got uh, Hoist pictures, and you know I was just I, I started kind of getting into the studio. I was 11 years old, you know. I I, I I was really into it, but then but then I got the Live One album, and it was just like it just opened up this world to me, where I was like, you know, I loved music. But then just listening to the songs they played on Live One and how much they changed from the studio albums, it was so incredible. And listen to how they just like, kind of go on these jams that would take you on this journey. It was it, it really played into my ADHD and which is my imagination. <laughs> right. You know, it like you know, like it really played to my imagination, which I just 
I really had a connection with it. I loved it. And my brother did too. And we thought it was so cool. And, uh, you know, we just, we decided to go with it. And so my mom decided to get us these tickets to this show. And it was, it was wild. Now, I just was in Boston for a conference this past November. My wife and I went up. We did everything. And one of the things that we did was we saw a Celtics game at the Fleet Center. Now, I'd never been to the Old Garden, but I'd been to Boston a couple times. Uh, I've been to Fenway and stuff. And it was really cool what they have out there in front. Like, you know, the Bobby Orr uh, statue and going up those escalators to the show probably would have that definitely would have tickled my fancy. I don't know why I'm speaking like an old British man, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, just being at that venue, not even six months ago, I I can only imagine what that would have been like. And at 12 years old, 11 years old, that's kind of cool. I mean, my mother took my brother and I to a Kiss concert, Kiss Alive 2. Oh, amazing. In 1976. Amazing. At the Cap Center. Yeah. That's so cool, man. That's so I cool. I wasn't even fucking born yet. I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's my mom's fault for where I am today. So, so thank you. And maybe some people are sorry, Mom. But, you know, she. my brother was a big Kiss fan. And they had a huge tour that I think it was like in the fall. Kiss Alive too. Whenever that came, somebody can check me. I don't really care, but you know, I can. Im I know what that's like. I had to put cotton in my ears. There were bikers in front of me smoking funny sticks, <laughs> and I was saying like, "What is that?" I mean, I'm like six, seven years old. You know, I understand that kind of vibe, and I think that's really incredible because you had mentioned before, like. You know, your mom is like dating somebody. You don't want anything to do with that before you go to boarding school. But now you're like, all right, well, I guess I'll go to 123096. Just this one time. <laughs> if you get me a fish ticket, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm listening to the show. And, and, and when you told us that, I was like, you got to be kidding me with this guy. This is his first show. Yeah. You know, my first show wasn't until 2000. So what do you remember about that? I remember, you know, it was obviously, you know, it was December 30th. So it was really cold outside. We, we didn't go to Shakedown if there even was one. I don't know. You know, it, I'm sure there probably was. It was 96. I'm sure there was. But still, you know, like we didn't, we didn't go to Shakedown or anything like that. But still, I just, I remember really clearly walking up to uh, the Fleet Center and, you know, seeing the crowds of people and, you know, all the tie-dye and people are just so excited and hooping and hollering, just getting like this vibe going that, which ultimately that vibe was really what drove me to continue touring with fish. It was so much fun. It was, it was so electric. And then we'd get in there and we had a, pr we had pretty good seats. You know, we were almost, we were almost center. We weren't front. We were in section seven, uh, which was uh, more page side, page side, page side. And, you know, but it was still very center and uh, good seats. You know, we weren't down on the floor or anything like that, but there was just like everybody was so nice, just welcoming. And I mean, here we are, like, you know, a couple, you know, I was 11. My brother was 13. And, you know, here we are coming into this show where people are out there just raging. And, you know, yeah. we're just we're just these kids, these wide eyed kids, just like, holy cow, here we are at a fish show. And, you know, people pulling out massive jars of the devil's oregano and, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, that was my first experience with that. You know, like I didn't 
partake. Right. But, you know, obviously, you know, like that was like, oh, like that's a thing. Okay. Like that's interesting. And then, you know, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that. I'm going to interrupt you here real quick because in 2018, we took our kids to their first fish show at the Gorge. That was their first show. Unbelievable. Oh my God. But, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> They've been, Jesus. They, they, we took them to Hershey last year and they were like, eh, you know, this, like, this is okay. <laughs> right. It's okay. But, you know, there is that. When you're there, like with a group of adults, you, you're you're not really conscious about what everybody else is doing. But as soon as a kid is like, "What's that smell?" <laughs> like oh, it changes the way you're like, "Oh my god!" Like, did I really bring my kid here? Like, what am I doing? I'm terrible at parenting. And but you know, they they enjoyed it enough that they wanted to go back. So it's interesting that as a and our youngest was young, she was maybe ten, I think nine, ten when we did that, and the fact that that at 11 had such an impact on you i mean that's pretty significant and you know and one of the things you also said was that you had listened to you know some of the the studio stuff and then when you saw the music live it, it was different and and it was presented in a different way you know that's very similar to how like live music hooked me was you listen to these things on a you know a studio record and it's the same every time and then you go and you see it in person and it's like wow it's right it's the new every it's new time. And it's different every time every time every time i've i've never seen the same show twice and that is so 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 special and like especially like going to like the uh, the baker's dozen shows they played what like 200 songs and didn't repeat a single one like you know, that's incredible. Like, that's really, really incredible. You know, eat your heart out, Billy Joel. And it's, you know. Right. And to be a, oh, my God, I'm so glad you mentioned how we don't like him. And we don't. <laughs> and also. Uh, you know what my favorite Billy Joel song is, Eddie, is Down Easter Alexa. <laughs> okay. Is that a sailing reference? Yes. Skinny probably does. It is. Yeah, it is. No, it is. Go you. and listen to that no. tune, Skinny. You'll know. Yeah. You'll be like, yeah. no. You'll be like, fuck you, JW. Skinny, Skinny had enough sailing talk for the rest of his life, I think. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, and, and we could talk about Baker's Dozen forever, which we're not going to do. But, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We're not going to do I mean, yeah, yeah. I only saw four. You know, my wife saw, what did she see? Seven. You know what I mean? Just to catch whatever you could from that. Yeah. That means so much, you know, that it gives you. I guess it gives you musical weight in your life, especially when you're yes, so yes. enthralled with something. You know what I mean? I it, know, I know, I know. And and like you know, this this show after the show, I didn't see Fish play until until the 2000s again. You know, like but at the time, you know, it was like after I saw that first show, you know, I was then kind of like I was in middle school, getting into high school, and then high school, you know, you had Napster and all that, and I had oh, yeah. I had all the bootlegs I could ever have wanted in the entire world. You know, and that's really what I was into. I was into those early fish days, those, those early bootlegs and everything that I was just like really, really got into. And I think that's why I have this like big 1.0 bias now, which has definitely evolved the way I listen to fish now, evolved my reason of still touring with fish, especially also. You know, you go out there and you catch like a great a great show and you get like a, a really good like 1.0 jam where you really feel like you're like, yeah, that's. That's 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 them, man. That's them. They're they're that's them. You know, where they're really vibing and just yeah, like yeah. you get a that fast llama or you know just like a really a dark jam of some sort. You know, where you just love it. it I, I and I love that. You know, you get you kind of go and get those little treats now, where it's just really really special 
to, to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, they're playing some pretty good music these days, too. And they really are. Oh, no, they really are. It's been definitely uh, a good run, whether you're uh, still in 3-0 or whether you call it 4-0. Skinny, you want to get into uh, the uh, first set here? I actually do. I'm so happy to be talking to you two about music. <laughs> All right. So uh, from the Fleet Center on December 30th, 1996 in Boston, Massachusetts, start off with a Yamar. Interesting. The Sloth, Llama, Gumbo, Reba, Talk, Funky Bitch, Theme from the Bottom, Into Good Times, Bad Times which ends the set, which is interesting that that ends the first set, but we can hit it off talking about a Yamar opener. Josh, you have anything on that? Because I don't do research. <laughs> well, I, I think one of the funny things about Yamar is that a lot of people think it's a Fish original, but it's actually a cover. It's Cyril Ferguson. They debuted this in 87, and apparently Yamar became a fish tune because Gordon was somewhere in the Caribbean. This is the story on Fishnet. Gordon was somewhere in the Caribbean and heard a band called the Mustangs playing a version of this. And he thought, oh, you know, we could probably make this into, you know, something for fish. Yamar actually has opened a number of shows previously, specifically in 96. So there was a show at Deer Creek, a show at the Coral Sky Amphitheater, and a municipal auditorium in Kansas City. Um, so it had filled the opener spot in previous shows. So not as rare there. Now, of course, a Yamar opener these days is going to be a little bit more rare. But this was a fun version. And definitely, um, anytime they do anything reggae, Skinny, we've talked about the reggae vibe before and, and our love for any sort of reggae, kind of Caribbean type of feeling. Yamar is going to hit it for me for sure. Yeah, I love Yamar. Do you like that as an open, Ed? Because, I mean, I don't know how you can go wrong with that. That's one of the first things that struck me about this entire show. No, you know, I love having a Yamar opener. I think it really sets the tone for the rest of the, the, rest of the set, uh, if not the whole show, of just having an upbeat, kind of fun, groovy kind of song to play with. It, it, I'm, I'm definitely down for a Yamar opener anytime, and, I, and I, I hope to catch a Yamar opener again one of these days. Well, you know what's funny, too, is so they have the Yamar, then the Sloth, which is another song they debuted in 87. Yep. Then they have the Llama, and here is a, a pretty fast Llama. This was Super fast. This was long, long before there was ever a slow Llama. Which, wait a minute. So, Addy, make Llama fast again. Yeah, fast or slow <laughs> llama. Make it fast again. That's what you want. Make it fast okay. again. Make make llama fast again. Yeah. And then they and then after llama is gumbo. So actually the first four songs of this set, which I really love the beginning of this set, but they're all animal songs. So Yamar, catching wild trout, sloth, llama. And then Gumbo's about a gunslinging parrot. So they're like at the beginning of the show here, I feel like they're kind of setting the table a little bit. And, you know, I looked at this and nothing stood out to me. But then as I started to listen to the show, I was like, wait a second. There's a little bit of a theme here that they're building from the beginning of the show through. Gumbo I'm a big fan of. But this Reba... I mean, I can't believe you got this Reba as, you know, at your first show, Reba, heavy hitter. Everybody loves Reba. And this version has 
it just feels real loose and they really let the song kind of come to them as they get into the jam and build towards the peak. You're a little kid, you're standing there listening to this like, do you remember how that particular segment of music kind of made you feel or, or like, are there specific memories about that? I mean, I know that's kind of tough to pull out. Like you said, you know, being an 11 year old in this type of situation at first, it was, it was, tough to really comprehend exactly what was being played and what was there's happening. There's a lot going on. There's a lot around. going around. And and as I previously <laughs> mentioned, I have severe ADHD. And and so my I'm like everything around me is going on. And also the unfortunately the acoustics in the Fleet Center leaves a lot to be desired. But still, you know, like I, I really what I remember most was the vibe of the band playing. They were having so much fun. They were having a really, really good time out there. And, you know, obviously the crowd was feeding off that vibe. And so everybody was just having a really good time. And, and you know, those songs, those first level, like especially the, the gumbo and, you know, the sloth is now like a, is now a favorite song of mine. But, you know, then at the time I wasn't that familiar with it. The gumbo, you know, really fired me up being 11 year old. I was like, yeah, gumbo, I know the song. Yeah, you know, just like being really fired up by that. And I loved it and it was a lot of fun. The Reba, you know, I didn't realize at the time, you know, what that catching that show from that song from my first show really meant. But it's uh, that's a special, that's a special one. Yeah. You know, we look at each other a lot of times. I like to look in my uh, co-host's eyes, <laughs> deep, deep into his eyes, very deeply. Yeah. If there's a Reba, I also my wife loves Reba too. Actually, Josh's wife doesn't like Reba, which. <laughs> Shout out to Megan who <laughs> hates Reba and I'm gonna continue to crack on her, but there is that drop in. She just doesn't like the lyrics, Skinny. All right, well, I don't like the lyrics of a lot of songs, so I agree. But there's a drop in there where as an 11 or a 12 year old, I would be like, if I would have heard this or The Grateful Dead when I was, that would have been 1981, 1982. If I would have heard that, type of drop-in, type of change in pace from peak build-up to a drop-in to a jam. I I wonder where I would have been. Do, do you think about that? Because I know you re-listened to the show. And, like, do you get that feeling from when you were there? Or does it escape you? Like, how does that... How does that make you feel? Especially like that peak to the buildup that Reba's is a really different song. It's a beautiful buildup. It really is. Yeah. And it's a really exciting buildup. And I, I think I don't care who you are. You could be six feet underground and you hear Reba. You hear that buildup with that massive drop and it's going to fire you up. I mean, and, and so even as an 11 year old, as they say down in the port, Sorry, talking about sailing again, but I was, a, you know, being a blue, being a blue ass fly, as they say, which is a, a a baby fly. You know, I was I was still just like so just amazed and in awe of just like just the musical abilities, but also just the excitement of just the buildup. It's just so cool. It's so cool. Yeah, I didn't see fish until I was 21. And I can't imagine fucking 12, 11 years old, like I was, who knows what the fuck I was doing. I didn't give a fuck about music or going to a concert or like anything like that. So I'm imagining the explosion of senses that you're experiencing all these different people, you know? And so that is like something to turn around and look at like, what the fuck is that guy doing up there? Or like, man, yeah, yeah. Well, why is that chick spinning around in circles? Or, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, 
another part of Fish that brought me in, and it was a big, big influence on this show that I was at, was uh, fifth member of the band, man. Chris, dude, he just absolutely just firing on the light board. And it just, it draws you in. You know, the the way he plays those lights are just so, so incredible. You know, really just blew me away. And it just brings your attention in. You know, even with somebody with me with the attention span of a goldfish, it keeps you attached. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a full experience. It's a full experience. Yeah. You know, all the senses just firing. And uh, that, you know, that was just something that was really cool about it. And so it kept me, it kept me firing with the, with the band as much as, as much as my little brain could at the time. Yeah, I mean, that was one thing when we had uh, Jake Jolivet on, you know, he talked about the, the way the lights really struck him. And, and he was a visual guy. He's a Fox Sports producer, so he's watching all of these things all the time. And so for him, the lights and that visual was like a big thing. But that's a big hook just in general because it is. I mean, it literally is such a huge part of the show. And it's not a fish show if there aren't lights. You know, you can listen to yeah. show after show, but when you're there and those those lights just add that extra element to it. And so I can totally understand, like as a kid, it's like a bunch of lightsabers swinging around in time yeah. with the music and that's uh, the light of the senses I think is something that we've talked about previously the band then gets goes into talk which is a rarity so you saw a talk at your second show I've seen fish 154 times and I've only seen two actually skinny we were at a bust out of this philly in 2003 when they played uh february 25th in philly i was at that show oh you were at that show too <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah dude so yeah cold as fuck <laughs> cold as wait fuck. a minute it was yeah. so cold so everybody was like trying to hang out outside the car i was like yeah whatever i sat in the passenger seat the entire time before we went in and then also at the end we bought a Soft pretzel like they have in Philly afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, they made I it out. They made it out of sacrete and salt. It was awful. <laughs> it was the worst, worst that's ever. A, that's oh a, my god. Because Philly's known for their good soft pretzels, man. I, that's a, that's Not a, in February. That's terrible. <laughs> you could have fucking hammered nails with that thing, dude. It was February is not good for soft pretzels. <laughs> yeah, in no. But no. talk is a total rarity. Fish has only played this song 14 times, and this was the eighth version in 96. So they've only played it six times since 96. So kind of a, a crazy stat there. Yeah, Terry was on acoustic, which was yeah. really, really cool. You know, and, and He doesn't do that much now, yeah. No, no, I mean... Other than his solo stuff, his tray acoustic, obviously, but that's right. But he doesn't play. I mean, very rarely does he play acoustic when playing with Fish. I mean, yeah. And again, I didn't really realize the meaningfulness of it at the time, but I did recognize that that it was occurring, and I was like, "That's really cool." You know, my dad playing. My dad plays guitar and everything like that. So I. Do you play an instrument? Do you play any music? No, not really. You know, I've I've dabbled in a few things. You know, trying. I'm I'm trying to learn like a bass guitar right now. You know, I'm not I'm not music inclined like. We, we we play a little bit. My my brother, my dad, and I we have a bluegrass band that we call the Plum Pitifuls because <laughs> because we're Plum Pitiful and uh, and it's fun to like kind of play and jam. But like I don't I don't really I wouldn't say I'm I'm musical. My brother and my dad are very musical. Me I'm the I'm the black sheep. Oh well, welcome in. Yeah yeah you you, you fit right in here. Yeah right. <laughs> So after that, after the talk, they go into Funky Bitch, and this is a Sun Seals cover, kind of old school cover that the band has always done. And I mean, this version was 
fucking hot from the beginning until about so hot about three and a half minutes in in, what happened there you're standing there you're a kid you're like yeah this is great oh my god and then what and then the pa cuts out pa is dead there is no sound whatsoever pa is dead lights are still firing band is still playing everybody else is just kind of questioning what the hell is going on and then they everybody just starts screaming and yelling and just and, I mean, out of out of encouragement, hey, of course, uh, because that's what you know fans do. But you know, it was just like it was so strange. You know, as an eleven year old, I'm like, well, uh, well, you know, wait, wait a second, like, what? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? Is this a part of the show? <laughs> the devil's oregano has affected me. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear the music. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's and, great. Know, but it was, it, so but like great. you know, when the PA cut out. It was. It, like when and the band finally got the cue, like, "Hey, nobody can hear you, um, except maybe the front row." Because I think I still think they're um, what are they called? The, uh, the monitors. The monitors. The monitors. The monitors still firing off. Because if you listen to recording, you can still barely hear them in the background. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely hear Fishman, you know, hitting hitting a little bit, but you can barely hear kind of you know everyone else kind of going at it. But so they're just kind of still rock and rolling. Uh, but then they want to get the, the memo, hey, no one else can hear you. They just have so much fun with it. They just have a great time. I mean, <laughs> Trey starts out coming with the, you know, the Pete Townsend windmill strums. Like he's playing behind he's, his head. He's Jimi <laughs> Hendrix playing behind his head, chewing a guitar. You know, he's, he's rubbing the guitar up and down. You know, it is just like, and then Fishman has the most epic air drum solo that nobody has ever heard. And it was just, it was amazing. It was, it was really cool to have that. And then they came, and then the PA came back on, and they just an absolutely great funky bitch. It was another one of my favorite, favorite songs uh, that Fish can play. Um, and then they go into a theme from the bottom, which actually, I mean, coming in, it's like an eight or nine minute one. It's, it's, it's really actually strong. really, really strong. And I think they kind of made up for that PA going out because. They go from theme into good times, bad times. And I forgot, you know, I, I listened to that. And I, I remember when I first started seeing him in 2000. I know I'm late to the party, but um, now it's been 22 years. You know, that just shows how old I am. But, man, that good times, bad times. I used to be like, ah, I've seen that so many times. And then I listened to this in prep. And I'm just like, wow. So good. It's so good. They, they I, it, destroy who, it every time they play. I know, and it's like, who doesn't love Led Zeppelin licks? And I guess at some point in my 30s, I was like, oh, I've seen it too much. <laughs> I was that guy. <laughs> that that guy is not the guy you want to hang out with. But I guess I was that guy, and I, I listened to it again. I'm so glad it brought me back because uh, I, I really loved that version. And I felt like the theme, even though short, and I have some favorite ones, this not being one of them, but it's it, it slid in the top 10 for me because it's just a strong version. It's really well played. Uh, we'll talk about the slave later because I always feel like theme and slave are played the same way. They don't really deviate from the original construction of the song. Now that's happened obviously, but in the, these two examples, the theme and the slave kind of at the end of set too. I, I know I'm jumping around here, but the theme is just so good. And then going right into a good times, bad times to end the set as a 12 year old, or 11 year old, 
Well, I, I don't a five-year-old, I'd be like, what? Yay! Yay! <laughs> Who knows, Ed? Maybe, maybe this is a water tune. Maybe this had a, an influence on your future, you know? It, it, you know, it could have. I mean, fish definitely had a massive influence on my future. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, who knows if this if this show did? <laughs> well, theme from the bottom would have had. <laughs> yeah, I'm from the bottom. Right, you guys right. are on the yeah. top, sailing around, right. all happy in the sun. I'm I'm at the bottom. So <laughs> no. <laughs> so just to review the first set of fish, December 30th, 1996, at the Fleet Center in Boston, the band came out and opened with a cover of Yamar, Sloth, Llama, Gumbo, Reba, Talk. Funky Bitch, where the PA cut out, then they went into Theme from the Bottom and closed the set with Good Times, Bad Times. So really fun, energetic set. Whether you're 12 or whether you're 45, you're coming out of this first set thinking, man, that was pretty cool. So definitely a lot of fun there. The second set has even more fun. Am I doing the second set? Wait, you were supposed to do the... Yeah. Fuck. So everybody, just in case you didn't realize that, I read set one and then JW read it after. So now I'm going to read set two and then JW is going to read it after. Well, isn't this interesting? (laughs) So set two from the Fleet Center, Timber, Jerry the Mule, into Uncle Pen, ACDC Bag, Gaiuti, Tweezer, into Life Boy, into Son of a Mule, then slave to the traffic light and they encore with a possum there is a lot more to talk about i guess before we even start with the beginning of this set ed what's your favorite part of this because then i might want to argue with you <laughs> my favorite part of second set um speaking for my 11 year old self i loved the song possum at the time i i still do i still do but i i was super stoked on having a possum, but uh, the set of a mule was just fantastic for me. I loved that song, but the big thing that really reverberated me for that second set was absolutely the, the Uncle Pen. Uh, Uncle Pen meant a lot to me to hear that, and and even at 11 years old, I was like, oh my god, like this is so cool. And you know, it meant a lot because you know, I my dad wasn't there with us, but my dad was the one who introduced us to people like. Ricky Skaggs, who also covers Uncle Pen. I had a big bluegrass beginning coming up, a lot of bluegrass, so hearing that Uncle Pen, I wasn't really even aware that Fish covered that song going into the show. And so getting that Uncle Pen was really, really exciting for me because I immediately thought about being with my dad and listening to Ricky Skaggs albums. And uh, you know, it was just it was just really cool hearing that being my brother and you know, thinking of my dad, so that, that, that meant a lot to me to have that. Uh, I can't begin to tell you what a great answer that was. <laughs> <laughs> because if somebody would have said that to me, I would have said, uh, my dad like- The tweezer. Yeah, well, I would have said the tweezer, but my dad would have been like, what, they didn't play ABBA? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. So I, I particularly liked the timber that opened the set. Timber is actually another cover that people might not know about, and the song was originally written by Skinny, a guy named Josh White, 
and another dude named Sam Gary. But uh, if you go to the African American History Museum or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you can read all about Josh White, who is not a famous podcaster yet. He's a <laughs> he's a blues and gospel guitarist from the 1930s and 40s. So, and interestingly enough, he was born on my mom's birthday, February 11th. So, like, as I'm like reading about Josh White, uh, like all these things are like kind of popping to me. And so it just made that connection to that song, another animal song, by the way. And I love the the tempo of that and it has that build up and I love the story of the mule and won't take any shit from anybody and I'm a little bit stubborn sometimes myself and and so I just I love that but if you look at the way this show is structured this follows the format from the first set and I mean it's just so well played and Eddie we talked about this before we hit record the pace at which they play and stay tight is just it's just phenomenal i mean and and not that they don't do that now but 96 97 like those years had specific feels and that definitely comes through here absolutely you know absolutely the the the, the pace i mean this whole show the tempo and the pace of this whole show was so great and the way they also came into the second set with acdc bag at probably almost half tempo uh you know it was a good slow acdc it was heavy it was so good i love that i love that acdc it's really really good and listen to it again i was like man like i would love to catch an acdc like that again where it's just it's 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 evil i love it it's wonderful (laughs) bring (laughs) back the dirty acdc bring back the dirty acdc yeah Yeah. Yeah. i don't disagree with you there at all because that acdc bag like I listened to that uh, several times. I really love that song, so I'm, I'm a big fan, too. It's, it's a great song. The, and the last two minutes were furious. I mean... Yeah, yeah. So good. You know, it's interesting, too. You, Ed, you, you mentioned Uncle Penn kind of hitting you in particular and, and having that connection. That's actually uh, a little bit of a rarity these days. They played it back in the day, but now it's it's currently sitting at a 169 show gap. They haven't played that since 2017, and you know, obviously, it's one of those bluegrass songs that they can sprinkle in. But you know, hopefully, we'll we'll see one of these again too. I would hope so. You know, I'd love to catch another Uncle Pen. I love their I love their bluegrass covers that they do. They're so much fun. They're so much fun. It's just their range too, you know. That's the thing, you know. It, it just goes. It really does go to show their range. I mean, they. I know. I know. I sound like a little bit of a fanboy, man, but they can do it all. They really can. I mean, from from like heavy, you know, heavy freaking deep sinister ACDC bags to acapella you know it's like it's so amazing don't get me started on acapella <laughs> i mean don't get don't be wrong I, I never really enjoy the acapella that much it's always you're always kind of like what what are you what are y'all doing <laughs> it's very interesting it's interesting That's it. it's interesting That's it's very great. it's unique very unique <laughs> They play yet another animal song, the seventh animal song with Gaiuti after the bag. And this is a great version here. I mean, again, it just kind of sticks with the rest of the theme of this show of these real tight, not really too explorative here on this version, but I love a Gaiuti. I saw Gaiuti at my first show at Meriwether in uh, 
1998. And so I've always had a, a sweet spot for Gaiuti. Gaiuti has experienced a few gaps, but everybody wants to hear a Gaiuti. And this version is definitely a, a solid one. I think it gets maybe a little bit overshadowed by this tweezer here, which is not long, but this. It should. <laughs> <laughs> this tweezer it's is fucking fire. It is so this good. This tweezer is dope. Yeah. I mean, when they're about halfway through this thing, whatever Paige and Trey were doing with each other, the, the sound going back and forth between those two guys was just mm-hmm. mind-blowing. And I can't imagine at 11 sitting there and listening to a tweezer, which is the fish staple for heavy hitters. You know, what do you remember about this particular part of the show. I mean, the tweezer, you know, like we were talking about with the Reba, with the build-up, tweezer, in my mind, is, you know, it's got the same thing. I mean, it's just this, it's just this amazing build-up to a crescendo that's just, you know, and that guitar line is just so fire. You can't not listen to that and get excited. The entire crowd was playing off it so much, and the band was having such a good time with it. And the relationship that Paige and Trey have have with each other really shined through on that song. Really shined through. That that relationship, the Paige-Trey relationship, is a big reason why I just keep going back to Fish songs. It's, it gives me a warm, fuzzy feel on the inside and, and makes me want to you know, punch a baby in the face sometimes. I love it. Oh, <laughs> you know, my God. Great. Well, listen. <laughs> Now, I was going to say, you're exactly right. Now, I don't know about punching babies, but I'll say this. It's a good time. (laughs) That five-minute mark when, and you're right about that Paige-Trey relationship, it is deadly, poisonous. Mm -hmm. It coils up around Mm -hmm. that Paige decrescendo, and Mike... Squirming coil? Yeah, well... A squirming cord with a cobra that bites you. Yeah. That bites that. It bites the baby in the face that you were talking about. Yes. 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 Oh my God. It coils around that page decrescendo. Yes. And it literally is. It's so poisonous. Like the crowd reacts to that wah wah pedal, I guess, is what he's using there because it's, it's 96 and it's not. He doesn't have. I mean, I'm sure he has pedals at that time that are, are a little bit more intricate than, you know, we've ever His heard. His rig isn't even close to what it is now. Not, nothing, yeah, oh yeah. nothing. But still, nothing. he can Talk make... Talk about an evolution. Yeah, and, but yeah. he can make it sound so good. the way that it sounds. And Mike, on the back end of it, it's just ridiculous. And then what I like is that it totally dissipates the entire jam, which is eccentric, heavy, deadly, like I just said into this like beautiful life boy which i now want to hear i want to hear a life boy like this yeah, that'd be amazing it totally starts again with page just to jump back to page what you're talking about it's just this heavy archaic uh tweezer into yeah, yeah. hey life boy <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's it's it. It goes back to the range. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. It just shows, it just the, shows range. the range. You know, they played right. a fucking bluegrass tune. Yeah, before there that, you go. now they're doing this. You know? you know, it's it's crazy. You got the you got the you got the bluegrass. You you slap a baby around for a little bit, and then you whisper sweet nothings to it. And Life Boy, you know, you, you, you gentle to it, and and that that Life Boy is just beautiful, man. It is. It's really good. You know that just that that line in that chorus, like. God never listens, and everybody is on top of that. Yeah. I can only imagine what that would be like in 96, 
I wish I would have got hooked earlier after I was like so jaded by what happened with Jerry and everything, but it just didn't happen, you know? But I, I'm glad I am where I am now. Yeah. Because it's songs like that, the wheels start to spin backwards a little bit. And that version of that, and has an outro that's like another three or four minutes. It's not like, yeah. I mean, it's almost like a like this delicate song that goes on and, and bleeds out and then goes into Scent of a Mule, which then brings the party back up, which is Paige. And now I want to ask you, like, why do you like that Scent of a Mule so much? Because you know what, Ed, everybody it like craps on that song. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, and I'd I probably. Mean, I'd probably crap on it now also, but at the time of being a 11 and a half year old and the and majority of my listening at the time was listening to studio albums, you know, I really, I, I was able, I heard the song and I, I didn't, I didn't get Life Boy or, you know, I, I didn't really get kind of like a lot of the theme from the bottom or things like that. Like I didn't get those other songs. I mean, I didn't really understand Sloth at the time. I mean, like I was jamming to the music, but like a lot of it, like I hadn't had. But you're not listening. You can't, you're not listening to the lyrics and like you don't know what it's about. Yeah, I don't care. You know, like I, I hadn't really had the experience under my belt yet when it comes to fish to like really understand. I'm like, wow, you know, like that Life Boy song, like I listen to that song now and I'm like, everything's okay, Eddie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's so like, funny. you know, but like that, you know, that set of a mule, like at the time I was like, I was just like, I was really fired up to hear it. I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Rock compete on, against each other. I mean, that's <laughs> like, basically what it is. Since it was yeah, Paige yeah. versus Mike. Yeah. And, and Paige, I felt like from yes. probably... I don't even know. I mean, the beginning of the set, but even the Gaiuti, the Tweezer, the Life Boy, the Son of a Mule. I mean, he's Paige gets my MVP for this show, dude. Yeah, yeah, and, I, mean, I agree. The, oh, absolutely. The Life Boy, and then, I mean, he's got this like six minutes in the middle of this Son of a Mule. Really, really good. It's just unbelievable. I mean, it's the chairman of the boards. Like he during Funky Bitch, he was insane. The funky bitch, and then during the Reba, the back and forth oh, yeah, between so him and good. Trey, like he was playing the grand underneath what Trey was doing. It just sounded so incredible, and I didn't realize this. I read the note, and then I watched the YouTube video. Stephen Wright, some comedian, comes out and plays the triangle during Son of a Mule. Did you like yeah. make? Yeah. So I, I didn't really pick it up till later, but you know Stephen Wright, the comedian, uh, also the narrator for the soundtrack for Reservoir Dogs. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I didn't know that. yeah. Here's another one from the '70s right. and '80s coming in. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You know, and, and then you put the lime in the oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and so it was. Oh no, shit! That's him. Yeah, from Reservoir Dogs. That's him. Yeah, yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. I had no idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's him, and. Uh, you know, obviously, from where I was sitting, I was like, who's this long-haired slash balding guy that's coming on stage playing the triangle? But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, looking back on it, you know, what a, what a cool thing to have been able to say that I experienced, even though I didn't yeah, didn't really understand what was going on when I was 11 years it's old. It's a complete anomaly. And, you know, what's funny. Complete. Like, he has some great jokes. You know what my favorite? <laughs> my favorite Stephen Wright joke is, of all time, is uh, I bought some dehydrated water and I didn't know what to add. <laughs> so that's uh, uh, that's my that's my yeah, yeah. that's my Stephen Wright. It's, Stephen Wright and Mitch Hepburn are very very similar. Yes, they were. Know, that, that's, uh, yeah. Very very yeah. much so. 
Well, they end with a slave to the traffic light, which, by the way, I feel like is played the same way every time I see them. Every time. I've never heard a unique slave I, to I the traffic light. I have not. They're all great, but they're all the same. Well, and it's I, a good song. Yes, it is. Yes, I, absolutely. I, I love it, but it's not played differently. Uh, can we all agree on that? Like it's I don't. It's not. It's. I agree with you 100. I, I really like every slave I've gotten, and I've gotten quite a few slaves in my time. I made myself sound old there. I'm speaking to a bunch of old fogies here, compared to me. but you know, it's it's the slave. Like every time I get a slave, they always sound the same. The the jam never really varies that much, and it's just it's slave. They might use a different pedal yeah. or sound once in a while, depending on the kind of the mood, but. I always found that interesting about Slave to the Traffic Light because I love that song. Great song. It's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song, but I feel like maybe that's one in their catalog that they're not going to deviate from. And if you hear a slave, that's the slave. They're not going to change it. So, But a, a great way to end this set, any set, I'll take it. Yeah, you can't be unhappy with a slave, you know, wherever they put it. You know, it's one of those songs you're just always happy to hear. I'd be curious to see the average time of the slave to the traffic light and see if there's any outlying differences of that average and to what's different about it. You know, like, is there. Oh, you're speaking there, my language, Ed. You're speaking my nerd language. <laughs> you know, like, is, is there a 20 minute slave out there that I don't know about? You know, and like, what's the difference of it? Like, why is it, why is it different? And. That's definitely something that I, I I am now going to fall deep into. <laughs> and I just want you to know, this is not a nerd show either. Ah, <laughs> uh, easy, bud. Skinny, skinny. I don't, I don't know about that. Stop it. <laughs> well, and then they encore with the ninth animal song of the show, which is a nice version of Possum awesome. here. Ed, you said this was one of your favorites yeah. a little bit earlier, you know, especially as a as a 11-year-old in the crowd. Talk a little bit about Possum and how you felt about it then and, and kind of your view on it now. Uh, you know, my view back then, you know, I just, I, I loved... I love the beginning, you know, that uh, kind of like build up in the beginning and then it just like falls in hard and it's just, again, you just, you can't not move to that, you know, it's just like, it fires you up, it's, it's this great little build up in the very beginning to this hard driving song about a delightful little possum that gets run over and, you know, it's very sad, really, if you think of the lyrics, if you... I'm sure someone could probably make a very sad song to it, but it, it, but but the way that fish plays it, this current possum at this 1996 show was a great possum. It was really really good, and even today listening to it, I, it it always fires me up. You know, it always gets me moving, and I love it. I've heard it played a lot. I don't want to be that guy, but you're also like, oh, I've heard this so many times. Uh, you know, but at the same time, it, yeah, you know, you want to hear a, a bust out occasionally. And uh, but a, a, a possum closer is that's a good time. Can't convince me otherwise. Yeah. In a an example of the world is a circle. My first boat, sorry, skinny. My first boat was a 13-foot Boston whaler that was named Roadkill. <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's a great name for a boat, man. That's a great name yeah, for a boat. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you know, 13-foot Boston Whaler, it's real low to the water. Super low. And, you know, it looks, it looks like a possum that's been run over yeah, a couple times. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of a full circle there. And that was before I even knew who Fish was. I think I had bought Hoist and I was like, this is fucking trash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. His new favorite album is Big Boat. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I do. I, you know, now I love all the fucking. You stuff. like Big Boat? Yeah. Do, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Here's here's the thing, Eddie. So there were some New Year's. Skinny has been to a lot of the New Year's shows, but the one that they did that I was not at that I am the most upset about was the one. What was that? Was it 2018 Skinny when they turned the stage into a ship and did Soul Planet and everybody, you know, the ocean was love and they all had the bracelets and yeah, 2017 into yeah, 2018. And that one, yeah, you know, with the fish pirate flag and all. Yeah, yeah. You have the beautiful AZN photograph of the stage as a ship and. I always wanted to get like the fish Jolly Roger, and I can't fucking do any of it because I wasn't at that show. So, I was at that show. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great show. Yeah. Ah! Great show. <laughs> yeah, two Thanks, against Dad. one. <laughs> my my girlfriend, who I'm still dating, uh, got me got me tickets to that show. Down oh, ground floor oh, tickets. Oh, it, was, it was amazing, amazing nice. time. That'd have been great for that. And you know what? Everybody always forgets about this. It's the last thing I'll say. They had those two cannons on each side of the ship right at the back of the floor like they were shooting the cannons off remember they had a guy like putting the powder in and all that and then like when the ball quote unquote landed man it like blew up with this red stuff like in different spaces on the floor that shit was insane it was insane i mean it was so cool we were absolutely covered in like everything. I mean, graffiti, a balloon. I mean, there was like beer. I'm a, I'm a, oh, so much beer. Yeah, yeah. My girlfriend, my girlfriend drank a beer out of the trash can. <laughs> no joke, dude. My best friend Noah like convinced her. He was doing it also. I guess they had snacks and beer out of the trash can. It was. I didn't talk to her for a week. Afterwards. MSG New Year's, you know, you know it's like yeah, when, yeah. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld knocked his girlfriend's toothbrush into the toilet. Exactly. <laughs> I was disgusted. Uh, disgusted. Uh, oh shit! Oh, All right. Well, I'm glad you're still. Yeah, with yeah, that's good for you. you I know? know. I know. Oh uh, shit! Let's quickly review the second set from December 30th, 1996, going way back here to Boston, the Fleet Center on Fish's New Year's run. This was back when Fish played a number of shows uh, over New Year's in Boston or Massachusetts. They played some Worcester shows, but then really starting about 97, it was New York, a couple of Miami sprinkled in, uh, but they have not been back to Boston for New Year's in, in a while. But they opened the second set with Timber, Jerry, Uncle Penn, ACDC Bag, Guy Yudi, Tweezer into Life Boy, into Son of a Mule. They close the second set with Slave to the Traffic Light, and they encored with a raging possum for Eddie's first show, 11 years old. Man. Quite a show. That's a memorable one, man. Yeah. Seriously. And I am so glad we had the opportunity to talk with you about it today. That was a lot of fun. Great music, too, Great man. Music. My last couple of comments here old school covers of this show and you know some people might look at this show and and they're not going to see anything special if they don't get into the nitty-gritty but if you look at the old school covers so they have the yamar funky bitch which is a sun seals cover good times bad times obviously zeppelin the timber ho is the josh white uh, Sam Gary, Uncle Penn, Bill Monroe, Ricky Skaggs was, you know, made that popular as well. And then you've got all these animal tunes, you know, Yamar, Sloth, Llama, Gumbo, Theme from the Bottom, Timber, Gaiuti, Mule, Possum. So you got a bunch of really cool 
kind of combinations mixed into this show. Nothing real deep. I mean, I think the longest jam of the night was less than 15 minutes. So, you know, nothing too extensive, but you had a couple of longer, you know, 10 minute plus jams, but then you had a lot of cool songs mixed in and just a really fun show, man. I, I'm, I'm, I was really happy to, to check this one out as, as in-depth. Yeah, you know, it was a great show. You know, there was, there was no jam or anything that, like bust out that really spoke out or anything like that. But if you look at the mechanics of the show and really get down into it, it was really, really an impressive show. Just the whole band was firing on all cylinders and, and just having a great time. I think that that is the biggest thing that keeps me coming back. I'm glad that you were here to talk about that because the first thing I'm going to say is no more boats. I'm going to, (laughs) well, no, I'm going to steal mechanics from you now. Okay. (laughs) So I tend, whenever we have a guest on, if they say a word, I'm like, I'm stealing mechanics. So the next time you listen to our show and you're like, skinny said mechanics, that's mine. (laughs) But we are so appreciative of you, Ed, for coming on our show and, Talking about music, talking about your life, talking about experiences, not only with your life, but also music. It's really difficult sometimes for people to, you know, open up. And, and we just had an awesome time with you, man. And we, we can't wait to see you down the road, either at a show or just hanging out. We'll have to come down to Fells Point, meet up with you. It's, it's not only that we did this show just to hang out with each other and tell each other stories, but it's also to bring somebody in like yourself talk about these stories and then hey listen part of the family making new friends is part yeah of the family. now we're friends and yeah. family and 100 yeah, and i i really feel that way with you man and, absolutely and just the laughs and i mean even in an hour two hour span that love is definitely felt man so thank you so much we're really really appreciative of that and uh, i appreciate you guys man i can't wa- i can't wait to uh, catch a show with you guys or just you know catch a drink in hamden or fells or uh even down in old Naptown. Uh, where you are, JW. You know, I love it down there too, man. Hit me up anytime, dude. I'll meet you whenever, wherever. My brother sails a J70 out of SSA, so. Let's go for a sail sometime, man. I'd love to do that. Yeah. You know, if we're looking for a crew one night, I'll, I'll give you a buzz. Let me know. I'll be on the shore. <laughs> Skinny will be waiting on the dock with the beers when we get back. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Right on. Well, again, we want to thank Ed Lucas for joining us here on Stub Me Down. We are just so grateful. Another example of we are everywhere, and we love hearing about your experiences, not only on Below Deck. I mean, that's cool, but the shit you're doing now is is really cool and awesome to hear those stories, and, and we're, we're so grateful for you. If you are not familiar with The Lot by Primal Soup, check them out. We've got some shows coming up in a couple weeks, and Summer Tour is not far behind, so... Get on the lot by Primal Soup. See what they've got going on. Also, don't forget to check out Scott Mitchell's Fan Designs. That's P-H-A-N Designs with a Z. He's got some great stuff, too. He got skinny. He got a bunch of new Goose stuff in. I know you're still not in on the Goose stuff, but he's got some new Goose hats. He still has not come up with the Release the Geese shirt that I've been pushing, but maybe eventually we'll get there. What do you want me to do? Tell the guy what to sell? I mean, he's got good shit. I don't know. Tell him to make a Release the Geese Stub Me Down shirt. All right. Hey, Scott, make a Release the Geese shirt. 
<laughs> okay. I'm demanding it. I want, awesome. I, I want one. Yes. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. We are, as always, thankful for our guests. We're thankful for you, our listeners. Ed Lucas, thank you so much for joining us. Skinny, great job as always. I love you, brother. This is always so much fun. If you want to check us out on the socials, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at stub underscore me underscore down. And we are also on Instagram at the same address, stub underscore me underscore down. From all of us here at Stummy Down, thanks again. And we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path. Ed, thanks, man. Later, brother. Thanks, guys. Y'all take it easy.